I Speak the System by Jimmy Cliche, Chapter 33, Married. Liz and Ted broke up, and years later she married the nicest guy in the world, who I'm grateful to have as a brother-in-law, but things were messy back then. Ted and Soren sent a letter to my parents telling them that they must have been shitty parents to have made such shitty kids. As much as I wanted to ignore their childish hate and shrug it off, I couldn't help but feel triggered by it, like they had a point, and maybe we were shitty kids. Linda and I moved fast and got married in my backyard on my birthday, 9-11-03, I think. It may have been 04. I can't actually remember anymore, but we wanted to give people a new, happy memory of that day. We got a Section 8 apartment together right across the street from the House of Quacks, where we first lived with her eccentric roommates. I was denied disability for the first two times I applied, but my DMH worker got me a free lawyer who helped get me approved. I received two years of back payments all at once that I had to spend immediately because I'm not allowed to have more than $2,000 in the bank or they stop the benefits, which includes income, housing, and health insurance. We bought Linda's wedding dress and a bunch of furniture, plus a new wardrobe for Linda. She loved all the free shit she was getting, and I think she thought she was marrying into money. At the very least, she was taking everything I had while I had it to give. I attempted a few classes, including children's literature class at Middlesex, creative writing classes in Harvard Square in Arlington, and a peer counseling class in Somerville, but I dropped all of them because Linda and I were constantly in and out of the hospital. We were always triggering one another to want to die. I didn't do it on purpose the way she did to me, and when she hurt me, I always took myself to the ER immediately to cope with it, but she'd hurt herself on purpose and tell me it was all my fault. I used about $10,000 to pay for my top surgery and a trip to Maryland to get it done, because back then there weren't many surgeons who did that kind of surgery, and only one surgeon who did it on people as heavy as me. I'd have been... I'd have never been able to save money for it on my own, and my insurance didn't cover it. If I'd received disability from the start the way I hoped to and hadn't struggled for the several years with no money, there would have been no huge check. That retroactive check was the blessing I didn't see coming around the corner when I honestly felt there was no hope. I wanted to die over my chest. I tried cutting them off with a knife once, but stopped, realizing that's not how it worked. The surgeon said she removed 16 pounds of boobs from me, and I woke up with the biggest smile I've ever had. My parents came to Maryland with Linda and me from for my surgery, but I hadn't told them I was going through a gender transition yet. And when I did tell them, the shit hit the fan. My mom said a lot of hurtful stuff, claiming I was hurting God and my family, so we hardly ever talked for years. When we did talk, they'd still call me by my old name and pronouns, and they said they'd never accept me as Jimmy. My marriage was also an extremely toxic relationship. Linda said she didn't like me as a man and felt anger towards me for making her appear straight. She was taking classes at a porn store in Boston and was cheating on me with cis guys she met in the class. I was going into Harvard Square every day to buy weed or anything I could get my hands on to take away the pain, but usually just weed or hash, and I hung out with the pit rats, the people who hung out in the pit all day. There were a couple guys I could trust 
to get weed from, a blind white hippie kid named Beatbox, and a big black rapper and cartoonist named Tyrell. But one day I was there for hours before someone was willing to get me weed. They asked for the money first, like Tyrell and Beatbox did sometimes, except this person never came back. I was there all day and into the night. I got on the bus home after accepting that I'd been beat, and was take and I was talking with a skinny, homeless-looking artist around my age with a scally cap on his head. He told me he saw me get ripped off in the pit and said he could get me weed any time I needed it. It turned out that he got off at the same bus stop as me and lived in the house right across the street. We became friends right away. His name was Brett. He didn't have many friends and had been through a lot in his life. He was a former or current heroin user. I wasn't sure at first, but he was still using. We'd hang out with his few shady friends, and they'd duck while riding in my car through their town because there were warrants out for their arrest. We went into dangerous parts of Boston to buy cocaine, which was pretty much new, brand new to me, and I loved it right away. If I'd known where to get it myself, it would have been a problem. Brett and his friends would shoot up the coke with a needle into their leg and get hyped up. We'd drink cases of beer and blast good music. Life was a party while my wife was out cheating on me, and when she was home, she'd come on, she'd come on to them while they were over in extremely sexual ways. Linda said she thought Brett was gay because he wasn't interested in her. She said she thought I was gay too because I seemed more interested in him than her, and I was having sexual dreams about him and waking up with morning wood, which was fairly new to me and caused by the testosterone I'd just started taking. I didn't know what to make of it. Eventually, she started telling people fucked-up lies about me, claiming I was abusing her in ways in which I absolutely wasn't. I could go into details of what was actually going on, but I don't want to lash back at her for what she did over a decade ago. We were both toxic, which I own. I know I was a disaster, but I was not doing the things she accused me of, and she ruined my reputation to this day in the local Boston queer community. She was a radical leftist, but most of it seemed to be for show, the way I see so many people do. She was always calling me a racist for stretching my ears and having a trendy tattoo I got when I was a teenager from a culture that wasn't mine, which I realized wasn't great of me, yet when my black friend needed a place to stay for a few nights and I asked if he could crash with us, she said, I don't trust him. He'll steal from us. At barely 18 years old, he ended up killing himself after being raped at the Pine Street Inn where he was sent because he had nowhere else to go. I'm not blaming my ex for his death, however, as it was the fault of the fucked up system which dumped a black orphan child into a wet shelter on his 18th birthday while he was still suicidal because his insurance ran out that day. It broke my heart. He was one of the first of about 15 close friends I've lost to suicide. My wife lied left and right, though, and I lied back about where I'd been all day because she didn't want me hanging out in the pit doing drugs or hanging out with Brett, who she thought was in the mafia. She used to say that about me whenever I called the old phone number to get the time and weather. She thought I was calling a secret mafia line and giving them a code. She was paranoid and unstable, and my drinking and drugging were getting worse and worse as I tried to numb myself to it all. 
I'd been in and out of Dickinson and Wayside Hospital a hundred times when suddenly Claymore, a once private hospital, opened its doors to the public, and I was sent there again. They were doing all kinds of tests on me. One time I got sent to the creepy PTSD ward, North Bell, that Pesh was in years before, and everyone seemed so lost. I blacked out for a whole three-day weekend there. I'm not the type to black out like that. I do dissociate, but I don't usually lose time. I woke up sore after three days with goo in my hair and having no idea what happened to me. I think they drugged me and did experiments on me. My friend Mindy from middle school worked at Claymore around that time. She was getting her doctorate degree and was doing research in the labs there. She told me to never go there again because they were experimenting on patients without telling them and using their information to fight wars overseas. When I blacked out that weekend, it was only a few years after 9-11. I predicted something bad was going to happen that day about a decade before 9-11 and reported it to Claymore when I was 15. I wondered what they were doing to me in the name of war. Something fishy was going on there. I never wanted to go back to North Bell after that again. Linda was in and out of the hospital too. Her therapist wanted to do a study on us as a couple, but a social worker I trusted said that Linda's therapist and his study sounded unethical and that he didn't have our best interests at heart, so we didn't do it. Eventually, during one of my drinking and drug binges, I ended up at Claymore again, and they treated me like I was street trash. They told me they were done with my ass and sent me to rehab in Fall River, which isn't a nice place, Fall River or the rehab. A large majority of the people in rehab were just getting out of jail. It was a hardcore program where they whipped our asses into shape. No sympathy. Fix your fucking life or die was basically the idea, and most of them probably ended up dead or back in jail. It was kind of scary for me to navigate as a man in that space. I felt like I had to be as tough as everyone else. They gave me my own bedroom, but I shared a bathroom with all the guys. There were a couple broken stalls where I could pee somewhat privately, but the showers were open, and with no penis, I was scared to shower in there. One night in an AA meeting, I shared about myself and told them why I wasn't showering with them. Hi, I'm Jimmy. I'm an alcoholic and an addict, I said. Hi, Jimmy, they all said back at once, at least 30 people. This was kind of this is kind of hard to talk about, and I'm starting to smell, so I need to take a shower soon, but I wanted to sort of warn everyone that my body is different. I was born intersex, which is basically like a hermaphrodite, except we don't use that word. Anyway, I was born both genders, and I think I was operated on at birth. I was raised female and lived female until just a few years ago when I met my wife and found out I was intersex. I had top surgery and I take testosterone now, but not bottom surgery, and so I might not look exactly like the rest of you. I was petrified to speak this. Was it safe? What if I got raped? These guys were gangsters. I couldn't believe what happened, though. They all started clapping for me. And one large, tattooed Italian guy who looked like a bouncer with a five o'clock shadow started crying and shouted, You're the bravest man I ever met, dude. Fucking coming in here like to a place like this with people like us saying you don't have a fucking dick. That's the bravest thing I ever witnessed. You got balls, dude. 
After the meeting, several guys came up to me and told me about trans or intersex people they knew or saw on TV, or how they or their siblings or cousins were born with abnormalities that were family secrets, or even just saying that they'd wish they hadn't been circumcised and felt like that was a fucked up thing to do to a baby as well. No one hated on me, and they were all going out of their way to make me feel like I was one of the guys. I started to feel like maybe I could actually get clean and get my life together. The rehab suggested people stay a full month to get the full experience and some clean time under our belt before going back into the world. But when I called Linda to tell her I was going to stay a little longer, she manipulated me into coming home, saying she needed me and that we had to work on our relationship. She put me in a position where I felt like I had to go home early, and as soon as I arrived, she told me she was leaving me. I started drinking and drugging with Brett and his friends again. I even tried heroin with them down in P-Town one night, and I absolutely loved it, but I snorted it and watched them shoot it. I watched the atmosphere in their lives and how they acted around it, and it scared me off. I fantasize about being a junkie my whole life, but I came so close to it, and I decided I better not ever touch it again if I didn't want to lose everything. Linda was scheduled to move out of our apartment and back across the street on September 1st, the same day I had a plane ticket to go back to Olympia to see my friends. It would be my fourth time out there as I planned the trip due to what was as I planned the trip due to what I was going through with Linda and my parents. I needed my West Coast family. Brett invited me over late on the last night of August. Linda and I were fighting and it was our last night living together in misery. So I took off and went across the street, where Brett and I drank several beers and smoked a couple joints. We were in his bedroom filling out a book I had for interviewing my friends, and when we were and we were flirting and got into bed. I hadn't attempted sex with a man since the old dude at the motel when I was 13. I didn't know if I wanted to have sex with Brett either, but I was in the moment. Knowing Brett was a heroin user, I asked him if he had a condom. He hesitated and said, yeah, I'll find one. He reached into a drawer, and although it was dark, I could see him going through the motions as if he were putting on a condom, yet there was no condom. He was pretending and told me to relax. I was triggered in so many ways. It was the first sex I it was the first sex since I was statutory raped as a child, and on the night my wife was leaving me for good. My only friend Brett who I didn't think, even think was gay, was pretending to put on a condom to fuck me as two men. I didn't know what to do, so I didn't say anything as he was trying to get inside me with no success. I finally said, I'm not sure I want to do this. He said, yes, you do. It'll be okay. And he kept going until I pushed him off me. I said, no, no, I can't. He was a jerk about it, but he got off me, fixed up a needle, shot up, and fell asleep. I laid there beside him, feeling disgusting, but the last thing I wanted to do was go home and fight with Linda, so I stayed the night until I could take off for the airport the next day. By the time I arrived in Washington, I wondered if I'd been raped. My friends Melody and Pete put, took me to the ER in Tacoma to do a rape kit, but I decided not to press charges, and when I returned, Brett and I started hanging out again for a few months until I kicked him out of my life.